Friends, hello, I am BT Irwin. And if you are a regular or sometimes listener to this podcast, you are in for something very different from the 37 episodes that came before this one. This is the only episode that is not an interview with my dad, Travis Irwin, uh, who is the minister in Minister in the Making. This is also the only episode that is a recording of a live event. Now, I'm not interviewing Dad in this episode because Dad succumbed to cancer and died on June 1, 2022, a little over a month uh, before this recording. So this episode is a recording of Dad's funeral that took place in Murfreesboro, Tennessee on June 11. I'm sharing Dad's funeral with you because I want you to get a good handle on Dad as a man and as a Christian minister. And while this podcast brought you the stories and wisdom that dad collected over his 45-year career in ministry to local Christian churches, it was never really about dad. We always wanted this podcast to be about you. What dad shared on this podcast, he shared to affirm, uh, bless, educate, equip, uh, inspire you. Uh, most of all, if you are someone who serves in any way in a local church. So listening to dad's funeral may not inform you so much, but I think it will inspire you. Many years ago, I read about a wise woman who said that she devotes a little time each day to imagining her own funeral. Thinking about the end of her life helped her make the most of each day of it. It helped her to uh, focus on the essential things, the most important things. So as you listen to dad's funeral, I think you'll, you'll hear that dad did that. And as you listen to dad's funeral, I hope you'll think about your own funeral and how you might make the most of the days you have between now and then. And I know dad would want you to think about where do you put your faith and your hope in this life? So once again, this is an amateur recording, and I am an amateur podcast editor and producer, so please listen with a little grace and understanding. I'm thankful to my brother-in-law, Dave Tuff, for recording the funeral on his iPad. Once again, it's not a professional recording, but it's clear enough that you'll be able to hear every word. Um, and so now, Minister in the Making, number 38, The Funeral of Travis Irwin. since I heard of Trav's passing from this life, but there was only one Travis Irwin. I have never met a man quite like him, and I don't think I ever will again. Truly, he was one of a kind in every sense of that word. And we gather today to honor him. As we gather today, we're going to do several things. We're going to grieve. We're going to shed some tears. And that's okay. 
You know, God never says that we as followers of Jesus are never going to grieve. He tells us simply, don't grieve as people who don't have hope. We grieve today as people who have hope. You don't lose someone like Trav without shedding some tears. But don't misunderstand me when I say when you lose someone like Trav. Trav's not lost. We know exactly where Trav is. But we've experienced the loss. And our hearts ache. And our hearts grieve. We're also going to remember. We're going to share stories of Trav and how he truly did impact the world. Specifically how he impacted our lives. We're also going to honor him and we're going to lift him up. For the husband, the father, the grandfather, the minister, the friend, the servant of Jesus that he was. And we're also going to celebrate and we are going to worship the Lord that Trav's life was dedicated to. Because even in the midst of our grief, we rejoice for Trav today. And even in the midst of our tears, the Lord is still worthy. James Summers is going to come and share with us a passage of scripture from the book of Philippians that I think of when I think of Trav. Then after that, Ron Vendinia is going to lead us in prayer. Ron is a dear, dear friend of Trav's for many years. James. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out to the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. But some from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking that to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Would you bow with me, please? Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your son, and the plan that you have for each of us. Father, we are most grateful for the promise that you have given us of eternal home with you and spending heaven and eternity with you. I'm thankful for my friend, Trav. Thankful for the life that he has lived in your service, teaching others the gospel, teaching them about you. 
We are thankful for his example, for his life of work and study in your kingdom, and the life of Debbie and his children as they supported him doing that. Father, we pray that you will be with each of them, with Doris and Debbie, each one of the children, the grandchildren, that you will comfort them and strengthen them during this period. Thank you again for your love and for the special friendship that we have had. It is in your son's name we ask this prayer. sing along with us if you want to. Let's honor our God this morning with this song. My hope is built on nothing less. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid Jesus. 
voice of blessed believing. Blessed be your name in a land that is plentiful, where streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Speak at his funeral, he said, Son, 
Make sure the people at my funeral hear good news. I want them to hear the gospel. And uh, what else would you expect from a man who preached at least 3,500 gospel sermons in his lifetime? So I promised Dad I would bring you good news today, and I will keep that promise now. And since Dad loved a good three-point sermon, this one has three points. Three proclamations of good news, and each one comes from Dad himself. And we may call this the gospel according to Travis Irwin. So, let's start with some tissues. Because <laughs> we're already there. Let's start with the first proclamation. I have good news. You can do it. Whatever it is, you can do it. Now most of us know Dad as an evangelist, a pastor, or a preacher. We know someone who stood up and spoke in front of hundreds of people at a time. And we also know him as someone who held the hands of people as they died, or showed up to calm a domestic dispute, or sat next to someone in the emergency room in the middle of the night, or talked someone out of taking their own life, or visited someone in their own jail cell. We know him as someone who dared to try to answer life's hardest, highest state questions from people who were hostile, hurting, and lost. In other words, we know Dad dared to do things that most of us would not dare to do. And to many of us, he made it look easy. But what you need to know is that it was not easy. Dad told me that pastoral and preaching work scared him. Sometimes it even terrified him. He grew up anxious and awkward and shy. He told me once that he felt safest when he was alone in his room with his guitar. He couldn't imagine anything scarier than being a pastor or a preacher. But God made him one anyway. Even then, Dad told me he felt panic sometimes. He said that sometimes on Sunday mornings when he got to the church building, this is true, he found a dark room where he could lay down on the floor and hide. One time I asked him, Dad, how did you do your ministry work if you were so afraid? And he answered by quoting his favorite Bible verse, the verse he memorized and said to himself almost every day for close to 50 years in ministry. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's from the letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verse 13. Look around this room. Look at the people here. We are the fruit of the work Dad did through the Christ who strengthened him. And we know that that strength must have been powerful and real because here we are today because of all the things that Dad did. So good news. If the Christ who strengthened an anxious, awkward, terrified sometimes man to boldly pastor and preach, as we knew Dad pastored and preached, then imagine what that Christ can and will do through you when you trust his strength. And that brings me to the second proclamation. I have good news. You are loved. How do I know that? Because you know as well as I know that Dad 
loved you. Dad loved you. There's a Bible verse in the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, verse 16, where God says that he cares for his people and loves them so much that he engraves their names on the palms of his hands. Dad didn't engrave your names on his hands, but I can tell you that you were always on his mind. Let me give you an example. There was not a street in all of Akron, Ohio, Cadiz, Ohio, Ashland, Ohio, Rushy, Tennessee, or Athens, Tennessee, where Dad did not know someone who lived on that street. Growing up, we couldn't take a five-minute ride across town for a gallon of milk without the Dad pointing out who lived in half of the houses <laughs> along the way. And he'd say something like, that's where uh, Gertie McGillicuddy lives. And we'd say, Dad, who is Gertie McGillicuddy? And he'd tell us how Gertie McGillicuddy was the great aunt of some back row church person, uh, and he took her groceries one time, or did a Bible study with her, or visited her in the hospital. See, if Dad met you once, he never forgot you. He didn't forget where you lived. Those of us who know him well know that he never forgot what you drove. <laughs> and to meet you was to care for you forever. Because as I said before, Dad loved you. To everyone he met, Dad was patient. Dad was kind. Dad was not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Dad did not insist on his own way. Dad was not irritable. Dad kept no record of wrongs. Dad did not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoiced in the truth. Dad bore all things, believed all things, hoped all things, endured all things. Dad's love never ended. You need proof? Look around the room. And you see the evidence of Dad's love still at work in us right here, right now. Love that outlived Dad's own body. Now, if this is the love of a mere man, what must the love of God be? Good news, you are loved. Loved by Dad, loved even more by the God whose love Dad received and passed on to you. And that brings me to the third and final proclamation. I have good news. This is not the end. This is just the end of the beginning. When Dad was dying, my mamaw asked him to send a message from heaven, and he got there. Dad died at 1 o'clock in the morning on June 1. I was there for his last breath. It took about three hours for the funeral home and hospice to do their work. And when everyone was gone and I went to bed, it was about 4 o'clock in the morning. Somehow I woke up just three hours later. And each morning, one of the first things I do is uh, I have an app on my phone, a Bible app on my phone, and I do my daily Bible reading for the day. And when I open up my app, it always gives me a random verse to reflect on for that day. Um, today, the random verse, verse was, be still and know that I am God. <laughs> Interesting. When I woke up the morning that Dad died, just five or six hours after he took his last breath, I opened my Bible app to do my daily Bible reading, and I want you to know that this is the random Bible verse the app picked for me to read on the morning Dad died. It's from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 2 to 4. And I saw the holy city, 
the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Amen. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away in the beginning. Now you may choose to believe that was or was not a message from Dad on the other side, but you have to admit it would be just like Dad to quote the Bible. That's a message from the other side. And so I have good news today. Dad's body is in that box, but Dad is not in that box. The Christ who strengthened Travis Irwin is too strong for death. The God who loved Travis Irwin is not the God of the dead, but of the living. The gospel that dad lived and loved and practiced and preached cannot be dead, is not dead, will never be dead. The life and love of God that dad believed and trusted cannot be put in a box and buried in the ground. I have good news today. Look around. What do you see when you look around this room? Do you see death? I don't. I see life. I see love. I see that dad is more alive and loving more than ever before, not in that old worn out body in that box, but in this body that is being raised before our very eyes, right here, right now. I have good news today. The gospel according to Travis Irwin. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. Our mourning and crying and pain will be no more. Let us trust the Christ who strengthened Dad to do all things. Let us love the way Dad loved us. Let us live as Dad showed and taught us how to live. This is not the end. It is merely the end of the beginning. Praise be to the God of Travis Irwin and his Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. It's good for us to have come together today, but not for mourning. Of course, we're deeply saddened to have lost a friend and a brother, like Travis Irwin. But a celebration is in order today, for Travis has fulfilled his mission. A mission that began the day he was born. A mission that um, was to live a life of agreement together with his Lord when his, his life on earth was over. And today, with tears and with joy, we celebrate Travis's success. From the moment Travis and Debbie moved to Athens, Tennessee to take the position of the involvement minister at the Athens Church of Christ in Athens, Tennessee, about um, 2008, things began to change immediately. Within a few months, training for the membership began. Uh, within a year, new ministry started springing up. Um, Within four years, there were over 40 new ministries involving between 85 and 90% of the church membership. Our congregation was on the move, working and serving each other uh, within the church, working and serving uh, those within the Athens community. I've never seen a church with 250 members become
accomplished so much good in such a short time. It was clear that Travis Irwin had a gift. He had a God-given gift. It was a gift that he used to draw people that normally weren't involved into the work of the church. Travis and Debbie made a great team. Uh, both were teachers, both motivators, and both were involved, involved in the work of the church. I was one of those that Travis grew in and put to work. But after, after Travis got to know me a little bit, he knew that I needed more than just classroom teaching. I needed a teacher. I needed a big brother in Christ. I needed a spiritual mentor. And that's what Travis was to me. Travis helped me navigate some of the issues I had in my life. Travis was always busy. He was always in the middle of something. But he always seemed to manage to find time for me. Six years ago, um, when Travis was diagnosed with cyanonasal carcinoma, I think that's what they called it, um, I was devastated. And I know a lot of, a lot of people were. Because what I read about that particular form of cancer was, was scary. At a very low survival rate. The church prayed, other churches prayed, people that Travis and Debbie knew prayed. Hundreds, even thousands of people were praying for Travis through those long months of treatment. And God heard our prayers and he healed Travis. God gave Travis more time because there was still work that Travis knew. But in the middle of his chemo, the weaknesses, uh, the long nights of sickness, Travis still made time for me. In the middle of his own personal crisis, not knowing whether he was going to live or die, Travis made time for me because he knew I was struggling. Travis took time to encourage me, to point me towards God, and to set an example for me uh, through his own struggles. He taught me to look to God as my source of comfort and strength. That's just the kind of man that Travis was. Travis glorified God with his life when times were good. Travis glorified God with his life when times were bad. And during those months of uh, Travis's first battle with cancer, while he and Debbie were living uh, in Nashville near Vanderbilt Hospital, we talked every day, mostly by texting. But even though we were miles apart, we shared our hearts and our feelings with each other for comfort, for strength, encouragement as um, brothers in Christ do. Of course, Travis loved his family. They all made him talk about Michelle and Brad and Betty. He was proud of his children. He's proud of the adults they had become, proud of their accomplishments. He talked about Daniel. Uh, he talked about his new grandson, Dylan. Um, he loved his family. He talked about the relatives that he prayed would come to Christ. He prayed that God would give him enough time to meet his new granddaughter in the roof. And of course, God granted his prayers. He said he wished he watched his, watch his, his grandchildren grow up, but he knew they were in good hands. And of course, Travis loved the church. We often had discussions about what we saw uh, with the future of the church. Preparing the church for discipleship and service was Travis's passion. Was Travis talk about Debbie? If you've ever um, heard Debbie teach, if you've ever read any of the things that she's written, you know how talented and how knowledgeable she is. And Travis was proud of Debbie. Um, Travis 
talked about how he and Debbie walked side by side uh, working together through the years. Travis leaves behind a legacy of service to God and man, a legacy of faithfulness regardless of the circumstances, a legacy of bringing glory to God in life and in death. Through the years, Travis taught me about living for God, and in these last months of his life, Travis taught me about dying for God. Because for Travis, whether life or, or death, it was all about God. When I think about Travis's life, it reminds me of um, what Paul said in Romans 14, verses 7 through 9. Paul said, For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for God. If we die, we die for the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Travis echoed those words of Paul, but not with words. Travis echoed those words in the way that he lived and the way he died. To be honest, Travis's passing leaves a huge void in my life. And I know many of you say the same thing. But his teachings and his examples are alive and well within us, aren't they? And I expect to see Travis again, and I know that you do too. Although Travis would have liked to have had more time with his family, he was ready and he was excited to go. He said he couldn't wait to see Jesus. He said he had lived his whole life to be in the presence of God. Kay, uh, my wife and I, made several trips to see Travis and Debbie after they moved from Athens to Murfreesboro. And we had some heart-to-heart, -heart, difficult discussions about what was to come. Travis talked openly and honestly about his impending death, sometimes with a tear, sometimes with a smile. As I thought about Travis his, in his last days of in his spiritual security uh, and his assurance, I thought about another scripture in 1 John chapter 5. And I'd like to read that scripture now as we think about how Travis lived and how he died. In 1 John chapter 5, John was talking about how we can overcome the trials and the issues of our life and the confidence that we can have through the testimony that we have of Christ. Beginning in verse 11, John says this, And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Travis knew Jesus. He served him. He trusted him. And Jesus was his source of confidence. Travis didn't know exactly what was going to be on the other side of this great divide between this side and the next. But knowing wasn't that important because his faith was enough. Now, what lessons does Travis leave for us? Now, I'm not a preacher. I'm not pretending to be. But I wish that Travis was here to tell you this himself. But I think he would be upset and disappointed in me if I didn't say this for him, and I'm going to say it. Do you have the confidence that Travis had? Do you know without a doubt that you have eternal life? If you can't answer that question confidently, then I urge you to come to know the Son of God by reading Scripture. Talk to someone that can point you towards Christ. Because like Travis and everyone else, your time is going to come. 
And don't you want to face that time with the confidence that Travis had? Travis worked in God's service, not for credit, not for reward, but out of love. Travis loved God and Travis loved people. He understood the importance of reaching people that are lost and their sins, and his work equipped the churches to do just that. A few weeks before Travis's death, Travis was struggling with his strength, and I, I knew that he and Debbie were working with the Wayland Church of Christ, and I was concerned about his energy level. So I text Travis and asked him how he was feeling. I already knew the answer. But this is what Travis said. He said, thank you, brother. This is, I'm quoting Travis. Thank you, brother. We made lots of progress with the Waverly Elders last night as they presented a preliminary mission statement and two vision statements. Impressive and encouraging in answer to a lot of prayers and hard work. We're walking out the door to go to Spring Hill for my treatment. Have a great day. Please pray that I can get some sleep. Back pain is not allowing. Love you guys. You know, if that doesn't say it all, I don't know what does. That was Travis. Bring glory to God in life and bring glory to God in death. And that statement to me is a summation of how I'm going to remember my friend, Travis Irwin. Loving God and loving people. It's been an honor and a privilege and a tremendous blessing for me to have known, to have known Travis and be able to call him my friend and my brother. He made a positive impact on my life like nobody else ever has. And I thank God for putting him in my path. Thanks. Brad, I'm not sure how the Lord allows us to view things that happen on the earth once they leave the earth. But I know if he heard what you just said, he'd have stood up and shook his fist and said, You preach on, son. <laughs> I didn't know he would. What a great time. I appreciate Roger's words from friend. appreciate uh, so many people who have come to honor him in this very special way. Debbie messaged me and told me that, that Trav had just passed away. And I received the message about three o'clock in the morning. Later on that day, I'm thinking about Trav sitting on the front porch when I had a mini stroke. And I had to call 911, had to go to the hospital. And the only thing I could think about going to the hospital was, I've got to get back home so I can be a part of this funeral. And she changed it instead of last Saturday to this Saturday, and it made it perfect. And I was thinking, 56 years ago, I met a 16-year-old young man named Travis Irwin. I did not know anyone at Lipscomb, at the high school. I had just begun attending there. My goal was to become a preacher, so I thought I needed to get started at least in Bible class every day. And I met this young man, and he, he several things appealed to me. To me, I, I liked him first of all. Always playing the drums, you know, magically. I don't know if he ever played drums or not. But he always strummed the guitar, even without a guitar in his hand. And he always talked about Corvettes. 
and always talked about cars. Now, I don't, I've never had a lot of interest like Paul and, and Trev in, in cars, but I got an interest in cars because of them, and GTXs and all those things. But I remember several things about Trav. I remember Trav was kind of a quiet person when it came to dating. Uh, and he was very shy, as a matter of fact. And after six years after I first met Trav, I got married to Donna. And when I got married to Donna, Donna and I were sitting there thinking, you know, Trav's my best man at the wedding, and Debbie is your maid of honor, and they don't even know each other. So why don't we set up a blind date, a, a date. Someone said we went skating. I don't remember that, but they went skating. But we thought that at least since they're going to walk down the aisle together, they need to see each other, need to know each other, casually. And if we did pick a place, I know it was somewhere where neither of them felt pressured, you know, to hold the other's hand or anything like that. After the date, I remember what Trav told me. Can I date her again? <laughs> Do you think she would date me? What kind of date should I take her on? And I thought, boy, you need to get a date. <laughs> and I remember I had all these questions, and, and so we, we got married, and Trav and I needed to get some experience preaching, so we took a job 110, 120 miles away near Chattanooga, a place called Sweden Cove. Beautiful spot in Sweden Cove. And Deb usually went with us um, when we went down there. It was me and Donna and Deb and Trav. We'd swap up. I'd preach some Sunday mornings and he'd preach some Sunday mornings. And the big crowds were 15 to 25 people, small church, sweet people. To put up with our preaching, Trav and I were talking just not too many weeks ago about how painful those people must have listened to some of those <laughs> I mean, I had one sermon, and, and I told him everything I knew in 15 minutes. <laughs> we were real, really green when it came to preaching. So we, that, we needed to do that, but those poor people put up with us and listened to those sermons. Now, they liked the shortness of the sermons, but that's about all they got out of some mind. But I remember one time we went down there when Debbie was not with us. And uh, Trav's all nervous and everything when he was and when she was not around. Afterwards, he says, we're going to leave right after services on Sunday night. And uh, I'm, I'm going to get back home so I can see Debbie before she goes to bed. And I said, okay. So we, after I had a shorter sermon because of him. <laughs> no, I was telling everything else to say. Uh, we, we went home, and as we were going home, he's flying. Uh, Donna's asleep in the back seat, don't know how she slept. And all of a sudden, in the rearview mirror, I see blue lights. And I look back and say, oh, no. It's, it's, you know, it's a state trooper, and they will give you a ticket every time. Now, the speed limit back then was 75 miles per hour on the interstate. He was doing 85. And he pulled over, and I thought, oh, no, what's he going to say? So he came over and asked for his license, and, and he gave it to him. And he says, Mr. Irwin, why are you in such a big hurry? And he had to go be honest about it. He said, me and the guy in the back are preachers. I thought, oh no. <laughs> he said, we've been, been in a little place called Sweet and Cold near Chattanooga. And I'm trying to get home quickly so that I can see my girlfriend before she goes to bed. Right? And it, it kind of made him laugh. You know, when he said, we're preachers of the Church of Christ. 
I thought, well, what if he's a Baptist? <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't like preachers. I thought, you messed up now. I'm already taking the money that, that we were able to get down at Sweden Cove and putting it in the kitty because I know we're going to pay this. I'll pay half of it if you'll pay the other half. But he said, Mr. Irwin, get back on the road, slow down so you can see your girlfriend tonight safely. And so we did. I, was, I have so many stories I could tell. I was told I had 10 minutes. That was such a heartbreaking statement. Uh, and I'm going to try to honor that as best I can. Um, it's amazing. I mean, all the things. Uh, and by the way, he loved you so dearly. He loved you from the first time he met you. Yeah. I mean, there was no doubt about it. He just drove me crazy. <laughs> he never talked about anybody like that. Never. And I, when he was asking, do you think she'll want to date somebody else? I said, Trav, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. I'm looking back 50 years later and I'm thinking it was meant to be. God had a hand in not only my marriage, Donna, but certainly had a hand in y'all's marriage. You were real young. Seventeen's mighty young. He knew that you were young, though. He said, I've got to marry her before she gets wise and older. <laughs> <laughs> we talked a lot later about things like that. I felt the same way about Donna, though. When I think about Travis, I think about lighthouses. I think about how many, even around us, there's still lighthouses to remind us. I'm so thankful that we took that trip five years ago. 3,200 miles driving up to Maine and seeing all those historic places and, and the lighthouses. We went to the, the National Museum for Lighthouses. And, and you got pictures, I saw them, that, and I've got some too, uh, of him and how excited he was about those lighthouses and all the things that were there, the lens and all that went into the lighthouses and their effectiveness. But when you think about a lighthouse, I, I think about that song uh, that says, if it wasn't for the lighthouse, where would this ship be in that song? And I think about Trav. If it wasn't for Trav, his love, his ministry, being Trav, where would we be? I remember that as we've talked over the years, we've talked about Trav, our highest goal is to leave this world ready and prepared and faithful. Because we had so many people in our class that that just didn't seem to care anymore about God, about His Son, and about eternity with them. But Trav always cared. And he always did things that would help him and others make that final trip and be called home. Trav was a lighthouse. He led many people from danger to safety. The Lord said that. He said, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. You could not drive. And he also told us that we're children of light in a dark world. And Trav knew that. When I think about Trav, I think about Revelation 14, verse 13. And John, the inspired writer of Revelation, telling us what is ahead. He said, and I heard a voice from heaven say this, right. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from henceforth. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. 
Two, two blessings from God to the person who is in the Lord. Who have been baptized in the Lord and who are, who are followers and faithful to the Lord. When we leave this world in that state of spiritual wickedness. Then he says, first of all, you're going to rest. I talked to Debbie quite a bit about this and about how Trav could never rest. He was a restless person anyway because he's always anxious to do something else or do something that was that he hadn't done yet. Um, I thought when he went up to uh, Akron, the first place where he preached up north. Uh, by the way, I had always said, I'm going to go to Ohio and preach. I never went to Ohio and preached. He went to Ohio and preached. So the place where I always talked about, he went, ended up going, and I stayed in Nashville. But I remember that he never rested. We'd, the only way we got together was when we went on lecture shifts, to the Harding lectures, uh, because his children were in Harding. Uh, and, and I remember the trips were just great because we could talk all the way down there and listen to James Taylor and say you know, the song that he loved the most was uh, uh, about being a friend. Uh, and so I told him that he was so, so anxious. We would go down there and he was restless. He would just toss and turn. And, and, and I thought, you know, I don't do that because I, I don't have as much pressure on me because I don't put that much pressure on me. But he did. He wanted to do it right. I remember when he went to Akron, he told me, he said, I get up on Saturday and go to the church building and practice, if you will, the sermon for the next day. He wanted it to be right. He wanted to say the right words and say them in, in a way that would be most effective. And, and I can't imagine doing that as a preacher because it, it makes me nervous to, to preach it once and then preach it again. But he didn't. He'd get up on Saturday or Saturday night. And he'd get in the pulpit and he'd turn the PA system on and he would go over the lesson and he had it ready for the next day. He was that conscientious of a preacher. But when it came to those lectureships, he would, we'd go down and, and he would toss and turn and I, even in the dark, I could hear him just tossing and turning. So I decided that I was going to try to help him be a little less tossing. Uh, so I took it and when he got to sleep, he was just about to go to sleep. I hit him in the head with a pillow. <laughs> from the other bed. He, and, and he would get so frustrated at me because he was finally wanting to go to sleep, but he just couldn't. So I hit him with another. So he started returning. <laughs> and so every time we take a trip from then on, he knew that there was going to be a pillow time. And it's when he least expected it. And the first night, he, he quit tossing and turning. Uh, so he got he relaxed. But even in that, he could not relax. He's so anxious to get to heaven and be in paradise, uh, he still couldn't relax. They, they said, the, the, the people who were working with him and Deb said, if he would just relax, he would go on. But he wouldn't even let the medicine work and relax. And, and so that's trap. But the Bible says that one thing that you're going to have is rest. And Trav's at rest. God's not going to let him worry about his family because he knows this family's been taken care of both by his other family members and friends and, and God. So he has nothing to worry about. But boy, he worried a lot about things like that when it was his responsibility because he cared so much for his family, for his friends, for those who were lost. So Trav is at rest and their works do follow him. He didn't get to do some of the things he wanted to do. But God's going to see that those things are carried out. 
He will because they're, they're the right things. Involvement ministry. Wanting everyone to be involved more than just sitting a few on one hour on Sunday morning. Being involved with the church. The church, we're all part of a family. We're all part of a body. And everybody has a job and talent and responsibility. And travel is one of the best in the brotherhood at showing that and teaching that and encouraging that. So when I think about travel, I think about this passage and the hope that we all have if we would but trust in the Lord and follow him faithfully. I love Trav. I told him before he died, I loved him. Nothing hurt me more than for them to say that he, he asked later. I, I didn't know how, whether to go and see him because he was under hospice care. But he, he said, has John come? And I, I hesitated to go because I didn't know if it was best. And it bothered my heart that if Trav wanted me to be there, if I wasn't. But he knew I loved him. And he told me he loved me. But nothing bothered me more than when he told me, like Roger, he said, I'm tired and I'm ready to go home. And I'm thankful that he was. And God bless his family. And God give you hope. I know that you you know how important your your husband and your your father was grandfather. If you see that picture of him and the new baby, nothing like it. Nobody smiles that big. I said the only time that Trav ever smiled bigger than he did at his granddaughter, seeing his granddaughter, was when the angels came and grabbed him up by his arms and took him into paradise. And he probably smiled bigger than any time in his life. Love you, Trav. Love his family. And God bless you. Before I share my remarks, uh, Donna Witted, who served as the secretary at our church for so many years and worked with Trav for so many years, asked me to read some comments. When asked to say a few words about Trav, I thought, how do you just say a few words about Trav? And I think that's the battle all of us are facing today. He was such an incredible man. It is an honor to tell about our friendship. Trav was one of the best examples of a sincere, godly man that I've ever known. He wasn't just a coworker, but a true friend. He was there for me in the good times and the hard times. I was amazed at his talent of picking up the phone and calling to check on people. Even people he barely knew, he could carry on a conversation like he had always known and he could. He kept a daily to-do list. More about that later. He kept a daily to-do list, and the first thing on that list was his calls to make. He was such an encourager. I learned a lot from him in the time we worked together. I learned a lot about myself from the spiritual gifts that we work so close with. On the lighter side, I will never forget the laugh that would come out, his unique laugh he would come out with, and we would all laugh with him. He could make us all smile. And I'll never forget how he would fuss at his computer when it didn't do what he told it to do. 
I said, I, I think I told Debbie this morning, I'm scrolling through Facebook. That's how I begin every day, and I'm doing that this morning. And my finger accidentally, granted, accidentally hit a video, and it started playing. Didn't want it to play. I wasn't thinking. It just instinctively, I said, get off my screen. <laughs> that's exactly what we heard coming from his office every day, multiple times a day, because he clicked on everything that he it would come up and clicked it. Get off my screen. He could run circles, Donna says, around the office and the office staff, and that is absolutely true. So much energy doing things for others. He was compassionate for others. He would do anything to help a friend, even those he didn't know very well. Travis would be missed by all of his family and his friends. I have been so blessed by being one of those friends. I mentioned earlier that Travis was one of a kind. He was unique. I knew that the very first time I ever met him. It was February of 2012. I was in Athens to interview for the, the pulpit work there with the Athens Church. Trav had been the involvement minister there for several years. It was just me, and my family didn't come with me. Saturday afternoon, when I got to town, he, he met me, I believe, at the, the Mexican restaurant, I think it was Monterey, that he met me at. Came time to order, the waitress came, he had his menu, I had mine, he ordered first. And he said to this waitress, he said, I will have a chicken chimichangi. <laughs> and I looked up from my menu, and I looked at Trav, and I looked at the waitress, and I looked back at Trav, and he said it again, and he said, I'll have a chicken chimichangi. <laughs> and so began our very unique relationship. We served on staff together at the Athens Church from June of 2012 until Trav retired in December of 2020. We had staff meetings together, we dreamed together, we planned together, we made visits in people's homes together. We laughed together, we cried together. And during that time, Trav became far more to me than just a coworker who became my friend. We spent time talking. We spent time going to the shooting range together. We took our carry permit class together. That was very interesting. <laughs> Don't have time to talk about all the adventures that that was. But we did that together. Uh, we worked on projects together, sometimes at his house, sometimes at mine. Projects that he would always say, oh, this is going to take about 15 minutes. <laughs> never, never did it take 15 minutes because Either he got in a hurry, because y'all do realize he only had one speed and it was fast. He either got in a hurry and had to go back and redo something, or there was some aspect of the project that he hadn't completely thought through. And so we had to spend a little bit more time with it, but, but I didn't mind. He gave me more time to spend with my friend. I mentioned the travel he had one speed. When my family moved to Athens in 2012, I was leaving a congregation and a place that I loved dearly. It was time. I knew it was time, and I knew God wanted us in Athens. But it was hard. I think I was actually going through the grieving process, and it took me about a year and a half, I think, to work through all that. But, but for a while, I did not know what zip code I was in. I did not know which end was up. I was kind of numb and fog, just going through the motions. I distinctly remember sitting in my office the first week that I was there. I'm grieving. I'm trying to figure out which end is up. And Trav is just being Trav. And he is going full speed, Debbie. He is moving ahead full speed. I remember sitting at my desk 
looking at my computer screen. I put my head in my hands and I thought to myself, what have I done? What, what have I gotten myself into? What I didn't know then was I had gotten myself into one of the best friendships I'd ever enjoyed. I chose the text that I asked James to read earlier because it is the one I think of when I think of Travis. Paul is in prison for preaching Jesus. He doesn't know what his future holds. He, he doesn't know what's on the horizon. He doesn't know for sure whether he's going to live or die. But for Paul, it just didn't matter. Because if the Roman government took his life, he would go to be with Jesus. If he kept living, he'd keep serving Jesus. Either way, it was going to be about Jesus. Jesus was going to be magnified by Paul, whether by life or by death. For him, to live was Christ, and to die was gain. Folks, that's Travis Irwin. His life was Christ. You don't, you don't defeat a man like that. Cancer, you did not defeat Travis Irwin. You do not get the last word in this equation. He magnified Christ with his life. He magnified Christ with his death. And now he has experienced the gain that Paul is talking about. He is in the presence of the Christ that he lived for. He is in the presence of the Christ that he spent his life telling other people about. I say again, you, you can't defeat a man like that. Trav's life was defined by what we might call today a defiant nevertheless. Life can throw at me whatever it will, and life threw a lot of stuff at Trav. But Trav's spirit was always, nevertheless, I will keep loving and serving Jesus. I got to visit with Trav and Debbie, I guess it was about a month ago. It was such a good visit. I am going to treasure it as long as I live. We talked about his health, we talked about Deb, we talked about the kids, the grandkids, we talked about the church in Waverly uh, that he was consulting with and helping. He was, he was really enjoying doing that. We talked about the church in Athens. And several of the folks there are here today. He loved the people in Athens. When we were working together, Trav, I mentioned the, the daily to-do list that Donna had mentioned every day. Trav had these little yellow notepads. Becca, Becca's over there. Becca knows what these are. These yellow, little yellow notepads. Every day, Travis, every week, Travis would come in with four of them. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. He'd have each one labeled. On each one of them, he had everything that he was going to do that day. These little yellow notepads. Some of my notes I wrote today on that because I can't think of a little yellow notepad without thinking of Travis. Well, I got there to visit with him, did he? I don't know that you, you probably did know that. Um, he had, he had a little yellow notepad, and on that notepad were names of people in Athens that he was going to ask me about. And I thought to myself, are we having staff meetings? I mean, this, what exactly is this? Because he wanted to know about those people. I went there to talk about him. I went there to focus on him. He clearly did not want to focus on himself. He wanted to talk about other people. He asked about several folks in the church in Athens. He, he asked about me. He asked about my family. He asked about Amy and Faith. He asked me how I was doing. And he didn't want to hear, oh, I'm good. Oh, it's great. 
He really wanted to know how I was doing because he knew some of my struggles. Why did he ask me that? He asked me that because he truly loved me. He loved people. We would often just sit, sometimes in his office or mine. We'd, we'd talk about everything. We'd talk about nothing. In a lot of ways, Trav and I were very different. In a lot of ways, we were very similar, especially when it came to our approach to ministry. We were very similar. He would often, as I would, I can see myself now sitting in, on the couch in front of his desk and looking up at him. We're talking, and he would say to me, Mark, we need to be very careful. Because if the brethren ever figure out how alike we are, they're going to think one of us is dispensable. <laughs> and we were alike in a lot of ways. But Travis, it doesn't matter how many more years the Lord lets me live. I will never be the man that you were. I will never have the kind of heart that you have. I will never have the kind of compassion that you show. I will never reflect Jesus the way you do. You, my friend, were indispensable. One of his favorite sayings, and I wish I had a dollar for every time he said it, I wouldn't even think about retirement. It's good. God, it would all be covered. But one of his favorite sayings was, it's God's deal anyway. Did I ever hear that from Brad? It's God's deal anyway. It's God's deal anyway. Maybe some project didn't pan out it exactly like he thought it would, or, or maybe some thing he was working on didn't, didn't work out like he wanted it to, and he would say, it's God's deal anyway. Yes, it was. Trav's life was God's deal. And that is why today, through our tears and through our grief, we remember and we share and we honor this great man. And as we do, we also celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ, whose grace and mercy Trav was dependent on. Because you see, as great a man as Trav was, Trav's hope was Jesus. My hope is Jesus. I pray your hope is Jesus. Let's worship some more together. It seems just as I want.
Bless the Lord. 
Father, we are so grateful to you for Travis Earl. God, we, we can't begin to express to you the depth of the way that he has impacted each of our lives. But Father, we know that you know. Because you know the gift that he was. You gave us that gift. Father, I pray that you would be with Debbie, be with the family. Father, we grieve, we hurt. We know where Trav is, but we're still here. His family is going to need your grace and your mercy and your comfort. They're going to need what only you can supply. God, please, give that to them in abundance. But Father, today, as much as we are grateful for Travis, we are grateful for Jesus. We are grateful for a Savior who would come and die in our place so that when our time is over on this earth, we could spend forever with you. God, thank you for Jesus. We pray, God, that as we've lifted Travis today, we've also lifted up your son. And it is in his name today that we pray. Two things uh, that I want to mention before we dismiss. One is, on behalf of the family, thank you. So many of you have reached out in so many ways, tangible ways. Thank you for uh, being part of this very special episode of Minister in the Making. Even though dad is gone, we have two episodes left. In the next episode, my mom, Debbie Irwin, will share her insight and perspective on dad's life and work. Uh, nobody knew him better than mom, and nobody knew more about how dad grew as a Christian and a minister over 50 years. When dad retired from full-time church work in 2020, he wrote a book that he intended to be a field manual and workbook for church leaders and church members. We Are God's Masterpiece, that's the title of the book, draws from dad's decades of church work to bring you applications uh, and lessons and tools that you can use to discover and activate your spiritual gifts and the spiritual gifts of your congregation. Now, even though dad is gone, the book is still on sale and you'll find a link to it in the show notes. If you gained any inspiration or wisdom from listening to this podcast, please share it with an elder, a minister, or a pastor who you think could benefit from it right along with you. And please help others beyond your network find it by giving the podcast a good recommendation and review in whatever podcast service you use. So as dad always used to say in his sermons, keep on keeping on. And until next time, grace and peace.